Welcome to the Holy Spirit's Curriculum of Joy podcast. My name is Wanaka Overhuber, and I'm your host. My guest today is Robert Meager. Hi. Welcome. Hello, So happy to have you here. And you've been an admin of an ACIM group since many years. So we've been joining in that way since many years that I'm really curious to get to know you, but I'm sure everyone else here will also enjoy getting to know you. So I'd like to start with a question that I ask every guest when they come on the first time is how did you get to see the world the way you do today? The, um, the simple and straightforward answer might be when I began studying a course, a course in miracles, and that was in 2009. And I had no idea at the time uh, how that new vision would unfold. Uh, but sure enough, as you study the course, and the more you study it, the more it presents you with the opportunity to see the world differently. And as you read the text and practice the workbook, uh, those opportunities abound in every moment of, of every day. The, the reality, I think, um, the heavenly reality is uh, I was invited to begin seeing the world in a different way from the moment I came into this uh, place and this space. Well, let's unravel it a little bit more. Let's go <laughs> deeper into that. So, and don't forget to turn your mic off when I'm speaking. Tell me, how do I do that? The same Why way you so? turned it on at the beginning. You just press that same mic symbol. There, ah. Okay. So, you you were speaking about how the encounter with A Course in Miracles gave you the opportunity to recognize that you were called to change your mind about the world. And now you were speaking about the greater picture, as you understand it, is that it was from the moment you got into a place of separation. I think that's what you're alluding to. There was the solution alongside. So maybe you would like to speak about how you became aware that there was a solution alongside your your ideas of separation or probably misery as most of us see it. <laughs> Anyways, how you became aware of that. You mean how I became aware from the time that I came into this time and space? Wherever you want to start from, <laughs> any, any way goes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm gazing off because it's just, it, it's such a wonderful opportunity to reflect on this. I remember in 2006, I had an experience of the, it was the closest experience I've had of hearing a voice to direct me. Now, this wasn't an, it wasn't an audible voice. Um, it, it was a voice, as I've heard Helen Shookman describe it, 
it, it, it kind of comes in words that you see in your mind or your mind's eye. And the message was, was clear and unequivocal. And it was very simple. And the message said, Rob, you need to simplify your life. And that was, that was it. Now, what I extrapolated from that, although the message wasn't that um, it wasn't what I'm now going to share, but I extrapolated from that initial, Rob, you need to change your life, uh, that I needed to change my life in three ways. Financially, relationship-wise, as well as materially. So those were the three that I extrapolated from that. Financially, relationally, my relationships with people. Okay and materially. Um, and then a series of events unfolded <clears throat> in the months and the years that followed that I, it, when I look back now, it, it was clear. It was, it was a pathway to find the course come into my life. And then one could say the rest is history in terms of seeing the world differently. But my earlier comment want to go about and you were so astute to, to reframe my, my awareness, if you want to call it that, that seeing the world differently became an opportunity since I've come into this time and space. And you, again, very astutely brought up the whole idea. Up until, I'll say 2009, even in 2006, where I, I got this message or I heard this voice, was unaware of, of the whole idea and the whole concept of separation. I mean, we're living in the illusion and we play right along with it. Um, but again, when I look back now, I see it was all part of the journey, if I want to call it that. And in that way, I'm absolutely fine with all of it. It's led me to where I am today, which is a space that I'm very, very grateful for. Yeah. Yes, it's a very important journey to reflect because we want people, you, I mean, the course wants us to get into the present moment, which is closest to eternity, so that then a shift can happen that is given, right? Not one that we actively pursue or could in any way influence, but we can get ready so that it can happen. And so getting into the present moment of joy and happiness, as of course the miracle says, is our right and is what God wants for us. And joining and remembering that our will and God's will are one, as of course the miracle says, what what steps did you go through in this whole thing? Because you said it's 2006, you heard the voice, and then things must have shifted in your life because you got these three ideas that need to be changed. What do I? How do I change them? Right, and then and then after three years, if I understand correctly, you encountered a course in miracles that once again must have 
reaffirmed a lot of things that had been coming up before that. Um, you're very intuitive, Wanako. Um, the, uh, the series of events um, leading up to the course being introduced to my life um, were, um, were heaven sent. So in the fall of 2009, after two years of planning, so again, 2006, The Voice, 2007, I, I start to plan to make career transition, a career change, because I had been doing what I had been doing for more than 20 years at the time. Um, and so finally in the fall, late summer, uh, 2009, I, uh, I left my position at that time in corporate Canada and set myself adrift, uh, purposely, consciously, because I wanted to find out a, a new way of living in this world, you know, very much wanted to do something different with my life, but I had no idea what it was. Uh, I hadn't begun your traditional job search or networking before I left, um, because of the responsibilities I had, I still wanted to devote myself to what I was doing. So anyway, left, and it was a Friday, and on the Monday, I began in earnest the networking. And uh, in the days that ensued, I met with uh, three acquaintances. Um, I, I sometimes refer to them as the wise men and women, the three wise men and women. and you know, doing uh, what might be thought of as your typical networking. Um, you know, what opportunities have you heard of? Is there someone you think that I should, you know, contact? Each stopped me at a point in our coffee and said to me, and asked me at the time, it was the most bizarre question out of left field. They asked, have you ever thought of ministry? Now understand that these three people didn't know each other. It wasn't like Sally called John the night before and said, you know, you're having coffee with Rob tomorrow morning and, you know, make sure to ask him this question. They didn't know each other. And the first person who asked me the question, have you ever thought of ministry? The words that came out of my mouth is, are you crazy? The second person I had met with, and the, and the same question came out. I said, are you crazy? You know, not, not seeing any connection at all, but thinking it kind of odd that this is the second person that's asking this question. And then, of course, the third one. This is almost in three days. And before the words came out of my mouth, are you crazy? I stopped and I asked, what is it you're seeing in me that makes you ask that question? And so they explained. And I listened and I can remember feeling this, this lightness, this, this kind of lifting away of, of, of a cloud of weight. I started to feel lighter. So they answered the question, and I may have asked a couple more, but then 
we we shifted back to traditional networking. You know, have you heard of any opportunities, anyone you think I should speak to? And at the time I was living maybe five or six blocks away from the coffee shop where on that fateful, faith, fateful day, and one might say faithful day, um, that the third person in about three days asks me the same question. Of course, my mind was just reeling. Like, what is it these three people are asking me this question? And I'm walking home. And before I get home, and again, it's only about six blocks, it came to me. Again, not so much a voice, but it was just a vision of sorts of interfaith ministry. And a year later, almost to the day, I was ordained as an interfaith minister. And the very next day, launched um, the, the, the spiritual ministry that I continue to enjoy and offer the Course in Miracles study groups through and the Course in Miracles um, focused and centered counseling and psychotherapy. But to back it up a little bit, um, those those three very formative coffees that that led me down the road of, of ministry in the weeks that followed um, that third coffee I went to um, I, I guess you could say a networking oriented gathering and there was a gentleman who I met at the gathering that um, brought up in our exchange A Course in Miracles. And I expressed curiosity. And they said, well, um, look, why don't we get together for coffee and I'll bring a copy of the book and you can have a glance through it. So in the, in the next few days, we met for coffee and uh, he had the book. Of course, it was what I affectionately refer to as the blue book from the Foundation for Inner Peace. And um, he said to me, he began our, our exchange about A Course in Miracles, and he said to me, is there anything at all he said you're curious about? And I said, yeah. He said, I am. Psychotherapy. Because my background and my schooling is in psychology. And so at that time, uh, and again, we're talking about 2009, I had, uh, I had an interest in continuing my roots in psychology to to study psychotherapy and then practice it. And um, he smiled, he just smiled gently. And he opened the book and turned it to, of course, what we affectionately know as one of the, and of course in Miracles, the third, the third edition combined volume, and it has a supplement on psychotherapy. And so I opened it up and I started reading it and my eyes became you know, really big. And I, I started reading it and I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was reading. It, it was, it was some affirmation of sorts that this is what I need to hear. And from that moment, I knew there was something in this book for me. And I very quickly, um, in the days that followed, if not the next day, got a copy of the book 
and uh, true to my nature, true to my nature, being a very kind of systematic and disciplined, you know, individual, started in earnest. Of course, not not having any idea of how to approach this massive, massive tome. Um, uh, in the book, of course, in miracles, and began reading right from chapter one, and just you know over the next. I guess it was a few weeks, maybe a month or more, just read right through, you know, chapters one through 31. Um, and of course, at the time, barely understanding any of it. And then started the workbook practice, you know, in earnest as soon as I finished the reading, assuming at the time, of course, that, well, that's what one does, right? When one has to read the whole text and, hopefully understand it before one begins the workbook. Of course, you know, now I understand that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Um, but that was that that was my kind of introduction to A Course in Miracles. It was, again, part of that path of, of each brother and sister I would meet that that led me to the course. And then, you know, once I laid my eyes on it, and my fingers on it, and dare I say my heart on it, um, I knew it was for me. And I was just sharing with someone this morning that it's been, well, that was 2009. So we're approaching, uh, you know, 14, 15 years studying the course. And it's as remarkable to me today as it ever was. And it's something that in some ways, I can't imagine living a life without it. And yet the paradox is the course itself says in lesson 189, you know, throw it away. <laughs> you know, just, just bring your empty hands and your open hearts to God. You don't need the book. It's just a form. Um, but all that to say it, it's something that I, I can see I can see studying in the book form for many years to come. We'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting thing you were saying about not understanding it. There's there's I think I've heard that quite often that people have the feeling they didn't understand what was in it book but there's also those of, who have that experience of saying it's a confirmation of what i was thinking before that and was there any element of that in your experience as well because you said you liked it you know you could read it for hours and hours it looks like right so you must have had something that that kept you going something that was attaching to what you were experiencing or thinking before that Again, very intuitive of you, Wanako. Um, what I would experience typically is there would always be a sentence in a section that I would come across that would just stop me in my tracks. I, I, I'd stop reading and I'd probably reread re the sentence. And it felt like an epiphany of sorts. And 
as I worked my way through the text, those epiphanies became more frequent. Probably more so due with the fact that I just was becoming more and more comfortable with the way the course is written, its cadence, its use of, of the English language, um, its use of poetry. And it grew from that sentence to that paragraph to what that whole section was saying and being able to identify with what that whole section was saying to then remembering, oh, it talked about that back there, but this seems now to be showing a different element of it. And to start to be able to connect some of the foundational tenets of the teaching, and once again, have it resonate with me. Um, within me, to this, this resonance that continues to grow today. Well, there's still, there's still parts of it that I read it and it's, you know, um, but I can trust now and enough in the process of realizing that that's actually not the case. I'm getting it. It's just, there's a blockage that I'm putting up, you know, that I'm, I'm, there's a reason that I'm, I don't want to see it right now. I'll get it. I'll just, you know, relax, Rob. It'll, it'll come. The fog will, the fog will clear. Next, you know, move on. Um, because I can remember, uh, to backtrack a little bit, that faithful meeting where I was introduced to the course and handed the book. There was a point with that initial uh, dear soul who, who jokingly said, if you're reading, and you don't understand what you're reading, just rip the page out and continue to go along. And they, they were being facetious, obviously. Um, but the way I translated it when I started working with the course and reading the course is if I started reading a section and it stopped making sense, which could be after the first sentence or after the first paragraph or after a few paragraphs, I would simply, I would simply skip to the next section. And then I would start reading that section. Um, and I became, I became aware that, well, in my judgments, I was thinking that's not ideal, Rob. <laughs> you know, to be reading along and then just skipping parts of it and going to the next section. But I knew there wasn't any point in continuing on because I wasn't getting it, whatever it was supposed to be. Um, and so I carried on that way for maybe the first five or six chapters, but then the pace at which I would slow, I would skip, would slow down. And I began to tolerate more and more what it was, what it was telling me and, and what I was reading. Uh, because more and more was was seeping in. 
I, I can't say though I was fully appreciating uh, what it was that was seeping in. I have much more of an appreciation for that, you know, today. Um, but at the time, it felt there was a compelling um, nature to the Course in Miracles. There was something compelling me. I knew there was something, um, I knew there was something there, I knew there was a purpose, and I knew enough to trust it, thank goodness. Um, and that continues to be my, um, my modus operandi, is to just trust it. You know, it will reveal itself through me. If I just stay uh, committed to it, you know, through my daily practice, through my daily readings, through the interactions I have with people like you and other students and teachers uh, in the study groups that, um, that join me each week. Yeah, it's a fascinating process. I, I never heard it in that way, but I'm sure there's so many different ways that people encounter it. It's really fascinating. So, yeah, what I think is also very interesting is you're one of the people who, who actually had a background in psychology before even touching on A Course in Miracles. And we know that the authors were psychologists and many of the early, there were early people in it like Jerry Jampolsky and other, and Jampolsky and others who also were psychologists. So it looks like it's, it's a, a book that appeals to psychologists as well not and maybe you have a connection with with the the great community of psychologists who are interested in the course in miracles uh actually the short answer to the question if it was a question is no i actually don't <laughs> um um but that didn't matter. That didn't matter to me. I was finding as I was um, as I was reading it, and in particular, if you read other um, versions of A Course in Miracles, um, which can be a controversial topic. But um, as I as I was reading other versions, it was emphasizing more the the psychological components. You know, and I embraced that because um, what what revealed itself to me was how much I longed to bring together the spiritual and the psychological, you know, you know, to bring them together. And this was something I found a home in and with, of course, in miracles. And the psychotherapy I went on to study um, was psychological, spiritual psychotherapy. And if one asked me, well, what does that look and feel like? And I would just simply say, read the supplement in A Course in Miracles on psychotherapy. That's, that's what it is. And 
my early my early training and study in psychology was so far removed you know from the psychology or the psychotherapy of a course in miracles of course my my study um in psychology was based in the psychoanalytic theories and while there there are there is some material that would reveal uh, a spiritual dimension to say freud or jung's work it was certainly not mainstream uh it was certainly not out there in my experience anyway i'm not saying it's it's the way it is but my experience when i was schooled in psychology and the psychoanalytic me methods um and of course behaviorism was there as well there wasn't an, an iota of, of a spiritual aspect to the discipline now it's possible that i wasn't open to it at the time and therefore not ready to see it or not ready to hear it um but i longed for that joining that that relationship that interconnectedness and the course in miracles was um and continues to be one of those joinings of the two disciplines there are there are others uh, but of course in miracles is is just a wonderful coming together um in in the very broad sense of science and spirituality yeah there, there's a there's a lot of different ways in which you can see that coming together in psychology with spiritual views but also in other sciences but anyways um, the, for instance there's Wilhelm Reich I don't know if you've heard of him who had his own psychological ways of doing things and there's many others anyways yeah I've, I've i've been interested in it but i also did get hear about a course in miracles the first time in jerry jankowski's book love is letting go of fear so <laughs> that's also a psychologist so anyways like i was mentioning before so yeah there there's there's a lot of connection but also like i said with other science i have a background in anthropology so religion and consciousness studies for instance has a lot of connection to the topics but also many others but yes so that's why i i call this podcast as a science podcast because it's a social science podcast because i'm an anthropologist from my background <laughs> so yeah so I think that's an important topic to look at how we connect things, how we connect the dots. I mean, we know that many people like to connect spirituality with physics and, and quantum theory and so on. But we, we don't, I don't know exactly the validation for all this, but there's so many ways of connecting the various disciplines. I, I, I call this podcast also as an interdisciplinary podcasts so i always say a course in miracles and interdisciplinary synergies <laughs> so you are very welcome to talk about those synergies that you discover in various areas of your life or, or interests that you've had in your life and I'd, I'd be very curious to hear about them you said you were in big corporations 
And there must be some way that that experience informed the way you are experiencing the Course in Miracles and the way it's um, giving you power to change your mind about the world. Um, before I talk about the synergies, I, there, there was something in your sharing just now that um, you've talked about Gerald Jampolsky a couple of times. And I remember um, a, a very important element of giving over to the Course in Miracles early on. And again, this was in 2009, the fall of when I began to read it. Of course, I'm reading it, but I'm doubting it. You know, of course, now I realize this is the ego at work, you know, not wanting me to go there. You know. um, and I remember one of the influencing factors, I'm not going to say exclusively, but it was a, a, a significant influencing factor, was I began to learn, like you, of all those, I'll refer to them as modern day luminaries, like Gerald Polsky, that were self-proclaimed students of the Course. And so I became aware of all these people. So, you know, Marianne Williamson, Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, and the list went on, Greg Braden, um, and I'm trying now to remember, so I'll forget, um, and move on. Wayne Dyer, long list of all of these people. And I thought to myself, God, if there's something they're seeing in it, then it must be worthwhile for me. And, and, and it compelled me forward further. Um, but in terms of synergies to, to speak to that, hmm, it's an, it's an interesting question, Monaco. Certainly the feeling of homecoming to my study and love of psychology. Uh, I studied as undergrad, uh, sorry, as a, as a minor. Um, it wasn't my major during my initial undergrad um, studies. Um, it, it was a minor, but I loved it. You know, I took it whenever I had an open course to take, I'd always take a psychology course. Uh, it turns out that I was I was only a few, you know, psychology courses, you know, um, uh, short of a degree in psychology, but my focus was actually something else at the time. You know, I, high tech and IT. And I took the psychology in part because it was thought in the program that I was in that the most successful um, IT people uh, in, the, uh, in the discipline that I was studying would be those that married psychology with the technology because you'd be able to help people understand. Um, but I loved the psychology and I was just so grateful for the opportunity some 25 years later to kind of go back to it. That is, go back to the psychology. But at the same time, now this this divinity aspect was entering the picture. You may, you may recall my mentioning, you know, people asking, well, what about ministry? And I certainly wasn't called 
or felt a calling to continue on with, you know, divinity studies um, in the form of the, um, the Roman Catholic Church that I grew up in. I mean, that just didn't interest me at all, um, nor any mainstream, you know, religion or faith tradition. Um, I wanted it to be all encompassing, all inclusive. Um, I didn't want there to be any separation, to use the word. I, I, and one, I, I was by default separating myself off from the others and I just wasn't interested in that. Um, it, it just didn't feel right. And so this, this synergy, this coming together of the opportunity to, to dive back into the psychology and go further with it through the psychotherapy um, and also marry with it um, spirituality was just such a blessing. Um, I'm um I'm a big proponent and advocate of living the course in my daily life. I certainly wel welcome um, those students and teachers who ver feel very drawn to the theoretical nature of the course through the text. And there are those um, students and teachers that um, that's where their heart lies. And then there are those students and teachers, you know, their heart lies in the workbook or, or for some, their heart lies in the manual for teachers or the supplements. Um, and I guess you could say I'm more oriented towards the workbook, but more specifically, you know, how are we living the course in our daily life? It's, it, 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 it's, it's all fun and good to study the work, uh, the text, but as the workbook says in the introduction, without the practical application of the course, the, the text just becomes a series of abstractions. And I bring that up in the context of synergy because what the course has allowed me to do, not only through the workbook, but through the continuous reading and study of the text, is it's allowed me to flow with life more than I ever used to to allow life to unfold on its terms, not, not, not on my terms, not, not to fight with life, but to flow with it. And many synergies abound when I allow that to happen. People show up. A wonderful little story, if I could share as an example. Uh, yesterday, um, I went for a long bike ride. I'm an avid cyclist. And as I'm nearing the end, I'm only like maybe two kilometers from home. And I've already ridden, you know, 125 kilometers from home. And this, this dark cloud comes over and it just starts pouring rain, like 
Noah's Ark deluge. And there's a bridge up ahead, maybe 500 meters. So I start pedaling fast and say, oh, okay, I'm going to rest underneath the bridge, you know, get some shelter. Um, so I stop there and along, along comes within about 30 seconds, what I'm to learn is a husband and wife couple who also were trying to get away from the storm and, and they joined me. And as background, I was born and raised in Nova Scotia, Canada, a coastal province, and now living in Ottawa, and I have been for um, more than 25 years now. So here I am in Ottawa, having been born and raised in Nova Scotia, and it's a Sunday in May, and I've been out cycling, and I get, well, I choose to rest under a bridge to protect me from the deluge of rain. And who comes along but this couple who are from where? Nova Scotia. And the city that I grew up in. And so we have this wonderful exchange. So for the next half hour, while it's downpouring, I have this wonderful exchange with these two delightful human beings from the same city that I grew up in, you know, on the almost on the other side of the country. And I smiled afterwards. I just enjoyed the moment, you know, as it was, this is great, you know, we're talking. And, and then once the, you know, the skies cleared up and I was cycling home, I just thought that was Holy Spirit led. I mean, that was just 100% from beginning to end. It was just, you know, unmistakable. Um, and those kinds of things happen more often in my life. And I've, I've welcomed the opportunity to allow that kind of living to happen far more now with the course in my life than prior to the course in my life. Hmm. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of things to think of here. So when you speak of go, yeah, going with the flow, and that A Course in Miracles supports that, are you referring to things like you need not plan or are these types of things that A Course in Miracles speaks about or, or what are you referring to when you speak of flowing with life? Because there's a lot of subjects and a lot of passages that speak in different ways about it. Uh, I'm wondering what particular passages are informing this. I think that part of the text that informs that awareness and allowing for me <laughs> is the fourth chapter of the Manual for Teachers, which is the characteristics of the teachers of God. And there's 10. And the first one is trust. 
and the other nine are built upon the trust. And I can't remember specifically what it says, but what I take from it is to develop this trust, this faith, if we can use that word, that life is unfolding exactly as it should. That life is something that's happening for me, <clears throat> not to me. As I've heard the wisdom teaching share, um, life is happening for you, not to you. And while I don't always rise to the occasion, <laughs> uh, I do far more often than I used to. And certainly when I'm in my right mind, uh, I'm much more open to trusting in life. And I'm much more open to trusting that even if I don't understand, you know, I don't have to understand what's happening. I can just trust that it's going to be okay. I can trust that even if I don't understand the why of this, I can understand that that's an empty, the why is an empty question. You know, why is this happening to me? Um, I'm much more likely to start to heal. I invite the exploration of, so what is this trying to teach me? Or what's in this for me? But not the, oh, woe is me, why, why, why? Well, it's why because there's something here for me. There's something I'm to be learning from this. But I'm far more likely to just not even dive into that, just, just to trust and accept that, okay, when the, time is, when the time is right, it will reveal itself to me. It might be next minute, it might be next hour, it might be next week next month, next year, and it could be a very long time off in the future before I get it. But just to trust as the first characteristic of the teacher of God, it talks about in chapter four of the manual for teachers. Yeah, that, that, that's a good, good reference to look at. And one of the other characteristics of a teacher of God is open-mindedness. So, yeah, so I, I think that's something that can be easily overlooked when, you're, when people are a course student, that open-mindedness is a core characteristic of a teacher of God. And you mentioned the the way people tend to discuss which version or which edition is the best and so on, and how there can be all kinds of debates about that. And but when you read that section that is in every single one of the editions, open-mindedness is a characteristic of the teacher of God, then who's to judge which edition is better or, or less good or whatever it is? 
it, what's important is the message. And it's also the same thing you were speaking about. The, it's not about the form, it's about the message, it's about the content. And so, so I think that's really I, I I wanted to comment on that because I made the choice early on in studying the course that I wasn't going to get caught up in the discussion around this version, that version. Um, this is the right way to do it. That's the right way to do it because I experienced it so much growing up in the Roman Catholic tradition. I mean, which Bible was the right one to study from? And um, I, I remember feeling the divisive nature of that, uh, which didn't make child, you know, and then growing into adolescence, it, it made it made no sense to me, but it left an indelible mark on me. And so when it came to A Course in Miracles, and pretty early on, uh, I became aware of, and I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that many students would experience the same thing. You, you become aware that there's these different versions, and then you get different, different um, proposed, I'll be polite, proposed approaches you know, just studying the course. And I just made the conscious decision that when it came to the version, you know, the right one is, or the best one is the right one for you. The Dalai Lama, you know, says, which religion is the right one for you? The one that's, you know, feels the best to you. That's that's the right religion for you. Well, to me, it's the same thing with the course. The, you know, the, the version, the best one for you is the one that feels right to you study from that one or study from that one and as for the approach uh i took to heart i i can't remember where i read it specifically but i took to heart the idea that the course should be studied in the way that is most comfortable for the student and so if that means the text and that's what speaks to you then study the text you know if it's the workbook then study to the exclusion of the text. That's fine. Then study the workbook. If it's the manual for teachers that you, you know, want to be the focus of your study, then study the manual for teachers. It, for me, it doesn't matter. You're 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 going to learn what it is you want to learn and what you need to learn, understanding the the, the old teaching, we don't always need what we want and we don't always want what we need. Um, you know, whether it's the text, the workbook, the manual for teachers or, or other related supplements, you, you will imbue and imbibe the teachings anyway. Yeah, I think we could go further with that. There's another option is, is the talking with people because talking about it, um, exchanging, and not everyone is a, a, a avid reader. So there's those, I'm sure, who are, are getting through the conversation with others. And since A Course in Miracles is all about relationships, it, it even tells the story of how it came about by the wish to heal relationships. 
So it's all about that. And I think that's a very prominent one because it's also in A Course in Miracles, it speaks about it. You were speaking, that was one of the three things you got that you need to look at, relationships. And I, I would be fascinated to hear your take on that. Um, another interesting question, Monica. Um, one of the things I needed to learn from that voice that um, told me, you know, Rob, simplify your life, and then I extrapolated from that that one of them was relationships, is I realized I needed to be a lot more honest in my relationships with people. Of course, I was to come to realize later in my study of the course that it wasn't the other person that I needed to be more honest with. It was me I needed to be more honest with. And if I could be honest with me, then being honest with other people was, was no problem. Um, an interesting paradox has emerged as I've as I've continued my study with the course. And I agree with you, discussion, exchange, dialogue with others studying the course can be an invaluable way of studying the course and learning the course. I, uh, I think I learn far more from other people in the study and discussion groups than they learn from me, just by virtue of the fact that they're appears to be more of them than there is me. So um, I always tend towards um, listening more and speaking less. Of course, in this, in this environment, um, the, the, the table is turned. Uh, but as the more I study the course, the more I become oriented towards silence and stillness. It's pretty common in, in the study discussion groups that I host, which are 90 minutes, three times a week, three evenings a week. I open it up, you know, I, I provide the introduction, um, read a poem from Helen Shookman from her beautiful book, uh, a poetry called The Gifts of God. We have our five minutes of silent meditation, and then I share the reading. And so all of that takes up probably 15. And then it, the space is opened up for comments and questions. And it's not uncommon that I don't have a word to say for the rest, for the rest of, you know, the hour and 15 minutes, the hour and 30 minutes that we're together. Um, I've become increasingly content to let others, to let others talk. And because I truly believe in the wisdom saying that if we truly learn how to listen, everyone becomes their teacher. And <laughs> um, over the years, 
because these study and discussion groups have been unfolding since 2009. Over the years, you know, there's, there's, there's course and group dynamic, you know, that, that comes into, you know, the, the gatherings and, you know, new people show up and, um, and uh, people are getting to know each other. They're, they're getting to learn about one another. And sometimes frustrations arise. And I, when I'm approached, when I'm approached by someone participating in the group about, and I'll be polite, their concerns about others' participation, my invitation is always, number one, patience and number two get curious get curious about the other what is it they're telling you you know there's there's the outward what they're telling you but as we know in the course that's that's just that's just an illusion get curious about what it is they're really telling you and learn about them. It's it's amazing over the years um, what I've been able to learn about people just by just by listening. And what it is that's revealed. Always keeping in mind, however, that you never get the full picture. And don't get caught in the trap of thinking one day, oh, now I get it. Now I understand it all. No, you don't. <laughs> you only understand what you understand up to that point. You don't, you don't have the whole picture. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, but, you know, relationships, um, you know, circling back. Um, I needed to be a lot more honest that I could be more honest with the people I was in relationship with. Um, and as you've, um, I think, inferred, if not explicitly stated, so much of what results in our dis-ease revolves around relationships with people. You know, it could be our partners, our significant others, our spouses, our children, our parents, our siblings, our co-workers, the people we're, we're involved with in the community. Uh, you know, not, not to sound trite, but those those people who reach out to come to work with me in a psychotherapy capacity, 99.9% what brings them to me is a relationship issue. It is rare that that's not what's at the heart of what, what is bringing us together. You know, if not explicitly stated at the onset, that is certainly what reveals itself you know, as we work together. And it makes sense to me now far more than it used to as to why that's the case. 
because it's not about the other. It's about our dis-ease about ourselves and our relationship with ourselves. Yeah, there, there's all these puzzling aspects. For instance, in my um, journey with the Course in Miracles, is I was told that I was a teacher of the Course in Miracles, and I hadn't read the book. And so, in with from within, and and I and there was no, I have to read the book. I was the one saying I need to read it before I can speak about it at all with anyone. That it was not that voice was not telling me to read it or even to to look at it in any way. I was the one saying I have to know it, otherwise I can't teach anything. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying, you know, there's there's this there's these different ways of encountering it and and growing with it. And this attachment to the book is not the only way; <laughs> it's one of the ways. And that's why I was saying, you know, it can be. It doesn't even have to be course students. You know, it's it's a course. It says it. It even says it. The curriculum is not optional. It's just the time at which we take it. And this curriculum is not the book itself. It's the world. It's our, it's the, it's the solution that, according to A Course in Miracles, it's the solution that was given the moment the idea of separation came up. That's, that's the curriculum, the Holy Spirit. It's actually alive. It's, it's the spirit. It's, it's who, our true nature of the right mind as you say it so there that's why you know open-mindedness is always available when you say okay the learning is within us and in which you know there's there's so much about yeah focus on the book of course I, now i've read it and I've, I've looked at it and so on but one of the most delightful things is is the, the conversations we have like I'm getting to know so many wonderful people, whether they're into the course or not, in this, for instance, through the podcast. And you know, you never know. And it's like, yeah, please, yeah, do this. You know, Yeshua, do this. You have a podcast. You've been wanting to do it since a long time. Do it. I want you to do it. And you know, I I can't say whether it's my podcast or not because I don't own it in the sense of owning it in, as being the one who knows what will be coming up or not. But So there is a, a guidance there. And so I encourage to, to get even more open when saying you can choose what you want to read in the book, but you could also choose how you want to, to get to know the curriculum you know, at what's, which which pace you do it and through what means, because it says means and end are the same. And in A Course in Miracles, and means and ends, we're speaking of if you want love, then love, right? If, if you want to have a result being love, then love, right? Or whatever else. But the thing is, we already are love. It also says you can't, it isn't teaching love, because that's who you are. So it's just, um, trying to remind you of what you already know. So the, the thing is, there is no one who doesn't know that already, according to A Course in Miracles. So the recognition of that 
And if you can recognize it in the form of the Course in Miracles, that's wonderful. There's many other ways to recognize it as well. And some people get caught up about the words. And that's why I think it's wonderful that you immediately knew, okay, I'm not going to engage in discussing which version is better or which, which way of, of going through it or whatever is better. I'm going to just find out what it is for me. It's, um, it has been curious, um, curious observation, curious experience to, to witness and watch, um, people in effect struggle with the course because In many cultures, there is often a very prescribed way that we should learn things. Um, you know, start at the beginning, <laughs> go through to the end. You know, you don't go to chapter two until you understand chapter one. I, I, you know, that kind of thing this is very methodical. Um, and I understand that mindset all too well because, as you may remember, when I told the story about being introduced to the course, I started at chapter one and went to, you know, um, and it's um, now I can smile. Now I can smile with it when I, I have a conversation with someone who who self-identifies as being new, new to the course. Um, I can I can appreciate and perhaps uh, use the word empathize with their uh, desire to do okay what's the right way to do this you know how do you approach this you know, I get that <laughs> um, uh, but um, you know just as you just shared want to go try and emphasize to you know take the approach the method that's most comfortable for Um, and, um, it's, uh, I can, I can so much more today, again, just allow it to unfold and happen, than try and steer it, but just, you know, let it happen. And if the person is called, um, to join me or to join someone else in their study of the course, it's gonna happen. Um, you know, they were, they were led this far. They were led this far. Um, if they're intended to be led further, they will be. And the other thing I emphasize um, to, you know, new, new students, teachers of the course, is that if you enter into your journey with the course and it's not resonating with you, then don't force it. You're, you're on a path and the course has come into your path. Welcome it for as long as it serves you. And then when it doesn't anymore, just move on and accept it as a stepping stone in your continued journey. 
you know, to grow in love, to grow in, in unity with the divine and let it, let it serve its purpose through you for as long as you need it to. Yeah, in The Course in Miracles, it speaks of the voice for God as the gentle voice. It's, it's gentle, so there's no force, no have-tos, no musts, or this and that. It's all about remembering what already is true. So there's, there's, there's no, like, you know, some people think, oh, I could dilute it, I could change it, I could argue with it, I could this and that. We do all of that but it won't change what is true. And, and so the, the beauty is you're actually allowed to go through all of that. And there's no idea that something would come and hit you over the head for that. And you'll be, you'll be, you, all you will get is gentleness. And anything that hurts or harms is just due to the way you are thinking about it, according to A Course in Miracles, anyways. And the way you think about it causes all this pain. And, and it wants to, to provide you with a, with a means that is gentle. <laughs> because the gentleness is the means, the result is gentleness. And then you become gentle as well or you recognize that you can be gentle because we don't know that all the time. There's so many times where we're acting so harshly and mean and angry and righteously and so on that we, we tend to forget that we actually have a gentle nature. Our nature is gentle. Again, you're very intuitive because I think one of the things that attracted me so much to the course was its gentle nature, was its teaching around the gentleness in which God teaches his curriculum through the course. And I can't, I can't remember, <clears throat> I can't remember if it's in the course specifically, and, and if you can remember, please say so, Wanaka, or if it's, some an analogy or a symbolism that I read somewhere else that it points to the course, but it's like it's like you're um, a baby bird and you're you're getting ready to leave the nest <clears throat> uh, as a symbol of leaving heaven, um, and um, you know, m m mom or dad is is there at the edge of the nest, kind of going, "Okay, go ahead, go ahead. You want you you know, you want to fly off on your own? Okay, go ahead. And I'm just gonna wait here, though. You know, um, just to remember, you can come back. Um, you know, at any time. But off you fly to, you know, do what it is you think you need to do, and <clears throat> and. that very gentle approach that the Course has. Um, is so appealing, is so appealing to me. Um, 
and I'm paraphrasing here, but there is a part in the course where it speaks of your father waits for you gently at home while you you live in exile in your dream, something like that. But the idea that, you know, God realizes you need to do what you need to do. But it's just quietly and patiently and gently, just waiting in effect until you come to your senses. Um, but just letting you do what you need to do. And there's just this, all the teaching is bathed in this gentle message that it doesn't, no matter what you do, you're going to be welcomed back with open arms. There is nothing you can do that won't result in you being welcomed back. And it's, um, it's such a beautiful, beautiful you know, approach. I, I think this is another topic that we're coming to is this unconditional love of, uh, that you're speaking of, you know, you are always at home, right? There's no, no way that you could be rejected for anything or any reason. And so the, the, the course is all about remembering how to recognize this, right? Because we're so used to say, um, it says also, because of the idea of separation, we think we did something that cannot be redeemed, cannot be corrected, cannot be put back in order. So we, in order to keep from having to face ourselves thinking that we've been so evil we actually beat ourselves up for it and where we came from the source we came from the creator or however we call it and of course it's the creator it speaks of the creator it never even rejected us and so all this rejection is simply more of the separation thinking and has nothing to do with an actual truth. And so it said, it also says, you know, the voice for God is based on truth and the ego, the voice we made up to, to uphold separation um, is based on, on something that isn't true. The, the idea that we could be separate from, from our source, from, from our creator, from who we are. And you can't be separate from who you are, according to a person, because it's not possible. And so this message of you are not separate from who you are, so what are you beating yourself up for? It can only be illusions. And to ponder that, how gentle that idea is, there is nothing you need to beat yourself up for. That is a gentle idea, isn't it? ourselves up to use the term is something um, it, it, paradoxically we do a lot of um, 
the guilt we feel, the shame we feel, those two core and root, you know, emotions are, um, are very much rooted in this idea of beating ourselves up. And the, 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 you know, the psychological paradox is they don't help. It doesn't help us to to feel guilty, to uh, to feel shame. Yet we tend to almost default to those modes of thinking about ourselves. When, as you so beautifully shared, it. it in our perfection, shame and guilt is simply not possible. I think the Course talks about it. I know other luminaries do when they speak of the Course. But, you know, we're not... We're not... Um, how does it say it? We're afraid of our magnificence. We're afraid of how great we actually are. And our hesitancy to love ourselves blocks the, these, these gifts, these potentials of magnificence that lies within us. Oh, now I know what it says. We're not afraid of our littleness. We're afraid of our magnificence. Um, and the Course invites us not to not to let trick ourselves into thinking that to think of myself as magnificent is arrogant, but to think of myself as magnificent is a natural way of being, a, a birthright of sorts. Yeah, that's beautifully put. And another way, of course, the miracle says it is that we are infinitely valuable in the mind of God. There are so many teachings that the Course offers that can can seem to turn our world upside down that gives us a completely, you know, 180, if I can use that, um, that number, um, you know, view, just completely opposite way of looking at things. 
And that's throughout the text, but it's the very essence of the workbook of guiding us through this process of deconstructing in part one the way we currently see the world through guilt, through shame, resulting in dis-ease and building us back up of sorts to revision the world we live in through the heart and so there's there's so much there's so much um you know and just one one foundational teaching i'm thinking of is the idea of um you know the principle of scarcity that i've got to acquire as much as i can because there's a limited amount of whatever it is you know and the course tries to instill in us that you know the only way to keep anything is by giving it away and and what i found in my life is that there's really only one thing that once i have it i do want to give it away and that is love and i know in giving it away it's going to come back but i know i can I know I can extend it, to use the course's term, because the only way you can give something is if it does originate in you. But but this is just, this is just one example, you know, the scarcity principle, of where the course just whew, turns it upside down. Not to not to mention um, its whole teachings around the body. <laughs> and our relationship to our body. Um, but there's so many examples of where it just completely flips, you know. Yeah, let's do a, a short, quick view of something that I think is very curious. Um, of course, uh, we are taught that to be ashamed or to feel guilty is good if you did something that according to the world or to the surrounding is evil. And if you don't, then you will be doing all kinds of evil things because those people who do so many things that we just consider as criminal and so on, they're doing it because they don't feel guilty or shame. Now, of course, the miracles is saying the opposite. When you don't feel guilty and don't feel ashamed, then you're going to be kind. You're, you're gentle and you're loving. Now, maybe you have a, you want to say something quickly about that, but I think that's really curious because it's really saying the opposite of what we're told. Um, to me, it points towards the teaching, the Course's teachings about sin. And that any action that brings about anything other than love or missing the mark, okay, and that would be that would be the definition in, in, in many other milieu of sin, okay, is not worthy of punishment, but merely of choosing differently the next time. If you're aware of these devolving emotions, 
you know, guilt, shame, whatever. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I just feel awful. Then that's your cue. Just choose differently the next time. That's all the course asks you to do. Forgive yourself in the moment. Let go of the past. It can't hurt you. And prepare yourself to choose differently the next time. Yeah, that's an interesting take on that. I, I always considered it as changing your mind about it. But yes, it, it also could be considered as a way of acting differently the next time. I, I didn't, I was, I was always thinking of it as changing your mind. But yes, of course, that leads to acting differently. But maybe it, you act the same and feel differently about it. So it's not exactly clear on that point. You may actually act exactly the same and feel totally different. So, yeah, but I, I think it's a curiosity when it comes to the course's psychology that not feel, feeling sinless, feeling holy is what, keep, what gets you to be kind and loving and to show that as your true nature, show who you are. So now it's time to wrap up. So is there any question I didn't ask that you'd like to answer before we wrap it up? Okay. Then let's, I'll ask you, how can people reach you if they want to reach you? Of course, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll give you those links, but, but maybe verbally first. Uh, if people did want to reach out to me directly, of course, they could reach out to me through you. <laughs> um, uh, but if they wanted to um, reach out to me via email, probably the best way, the uh, email address is the first letter of my first name, R, and my last name, M-E-A-G-H-E-R, at Serving Your Journey all one word.com. So it looks like our meager at servingyourjourney.com or the website uh, address is servingyourjourney.com. And through there, you can contact me through the contact page. And as I mentioned earlier, Robert has a Facebook ACIM page as well, through which you can reach him. So anyways, so thank you so much, Robert, for joining me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, listening and participating in any way you feel called to. Please leave a review of the podcast, subscribe to it, so that and let people know about it, because it's really so much that I'm learning from it, and I believe it's also valuable to anyone else that is interested in it. And if you want to be a guest, please reach out to me because I'm open to hearing whatever way has led you and guided you in what you feel is helpful and want to share. So thank you so much and blessings. Till next time.